0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now. Your inside look into the best of Vice. It's Wednesday, August 29th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today we're going inside Facebook's struggle to moderate 2 billion people. In recent months, Facebook has been attacked from all sides for allowing hate speech and misinformation to proliferate. So this spring, the company reached out to a few dozen leading social media academics with an invitation. Would they like to have a casual dinner with Mark Zuckerberg to discuss Facebook's problems? Now, leaked documents and nearly two dozen interviews show just how Facebook hopes to solve this massive issue, with the help of 7,000 human moderators attempting to rein in dangerous content across the world. Here's Vices' Ankita Rao speaking with Motherboard Editor-in-Chief Jason Kepler on the story. Hi, Jason.
0: Hey, Ankita. How are you?
2: I'm great. I'm excited to talk to you about this. Before we get into sort of the details of how Facebook moderates content, what is content moderation exactly?
0: Yeah, so if you've ever been a member of any sort of forum or MySpace or like even Facebook group or something like that, there's usually an administrator of that forum or a moderator of that forum who makes rules about what you can and can't say. You know, I'm a part of this like Orioles baseball message board. And one of the rules there is you can't cuss. There's no cursing allowed on the message board. So if anyone does that, they get a warning and then they get banned and then they're tossed off. There's also like no politics allowed on that message board. Um, The idea of content moderation goes back like since the very beginning of Internet communities, But when we're talking about commercial content moderation, which is what Facebook and Twitter do and YouTube and Reddit and a few other places, it is, uh, you know, what is allowed on these platforms? So it's not like, what can you say in your neighborhood Facebook group? It's what can you post on your public Facebook wall? What sort of photos can you put up? You know, what rules are there? And this is a really, really important problem because, If you take down too much content, you know, Facebook is a very powerful platform that has become the internet for a lot of people all over the world. You're restricting free speech and you're not even doing it in the way of like the first amendment free speech. You're sort of like restricting people's ability to connect with each other or their ability to express themselves. Um, You're restricting free expression. So it's a really important thing that you don't take down too much content So on the other hand, if you don't take down anything, you can allow for all this like hateful stuff. You can allow for like bullying and harassment and racist content and hate speech. And, you know, in Myanmar, Facebook has been blamed for uh, helping to facilitate genocide with like fake news related to ethnic violence there and stuff like that. So this is it can lead you down a very dark place very quickly. And we've actually seen like the easiest way to imagine this is we've seen Uh, as platforms start to moderate content more, these like free speech platforms have popped up, like Gab, uh, Vote is like a Reddit alternative. Um, There's a couple others. And if you ever go on these, these are just like filled with Nazis, like they're really bleak places that not a lot of people go to. So Facebook doesn't want hate spreading on its platform. But at the same time, it can't piss off a lot of people by taking down too much content because then it becomes like this arbiter of free speech. And that's also bad.
2: I want to talk about the scale of this problem. What are we looking at here? How bad has it gotten?
0: Yeah. So if you think about Facebook, it is the largest community of humans that has ever been assembled, Um, not just like on the internet, but just in the history of humankind. It has over 2 billion users. And that's a really hard number to think about. So it has 2 billion users who are constantly posting all day, every day. They have more than a billion posts a day. Um, they get more than 10 million reported pieces of content every day, which means that someone like clicks a drop-down box and says, report this content, and that goes to a moderator somewhere um, in one of Facebook's offices. So if you're thinking about the scale of the problem that's like the hardest thing to even think about. Like while writing this piece, it was hard to keep that in mind. Um, When talking to academics, they're like the hardest thing about content moderation is just wrapping your head around the whole thing. So this is really, if you think about it, one of the hardest logistical problems that probably Silicon Valley has ever faced. And it's something that they haven't done a really good job of solving.
2: So you and Joseph Cox, a fellow motherboard reporter, spent three months going straight into the bowels of Facebook and looking at exactly how and who moderates this information. And I think it's fascinating that a lot of it doesn't really have an answer yet. Tell me what that process was like and how it started.
0: Yeah. So we have been writing about content moderation for a couple of years now, just as a website. And at some point, Joseph, who's one of our cybersecurity reporters, got leaked some internal training documents from Facebook about hate speech in particular. So we learned that after the Charlottesville white supremacy rally, Facebook looked at its hate speech documents and basically wrote new rules for what you could and couldn't say about. Uh, just like hate groups in the United States, sent that out to all of its moderators and someone gave them to Joseph. Uh, We wrote an article about that. You know, we corroborated it with multiple moderators just by reaching out to different people and finding, you know, other sources to confirm it. And we ran a couple stories, but then we realized that this was a topic that was coming up over and over and over again. I mean, we just had this uh, big controversy over Holocaust denial on Facebook, We've had these uh, controversies over whether Facebook and Twitter are biased against conservatives. You've had these other controversies about Infowars and the genocide in Myanmar. So we're like, let's take a step back and look how this actually works. Like, what are the structures in place to do this? So Facebook reached out at some point, which is pretty rare. um, And I think to their credit... And they said, hey, it looks like you have our internal documents. Um, we appreciate that you've been more or less you know, fair with these pieces because, honestly, the stuff in the documents could easily be skewed one way or the other if you wanted to. Um, they said, you know, why don't you come out here and see how we make these policies? So I went to Menlo Park, California, uh, Facebook's headquarters, for two days and I spent like seven hours just back to back to back talking to some of their executives, the people who make these policies. I sat in on a meeting where they talked about like things that they were seeing and things that groups um, like nonprofits are bringing up to them to say, hey, we should like have a policy for this. But we don't yet um, talk to the people who train the moderators or like the person who's in charge of training. Also talk to their like operations, head of operations and head of product which this is like all very sprawling and sort of talks a little bit to the scale. But basically, there's people who make the policies, there's people who implement the policies, there's people who make the artificial intelligence and software tools to like help the moderators make decisions. Uh, Then there's like crisis response teams, there's like PR people involved. It's like a very complicated machine. And sort of outside of an academic setting, there had never been a super in-depth piece on just like the logistics of how this works so i honestly sort of went into this being like uh you know who makes the powerpoint are there email threads when there's like a crisis like do you guys huddle in a room and like make a decision and i asked those sorts of questions over and over and the answer to basically all of this is like yes um
2: and that kind of detail is pretty illuminating in the piece there's screenshots of these PowerPoints that help train moderators. And some of them say things like, yes, you can say white nationalism, but no, you can't say white supremacy. And in my mind, you know, those could in many ways be conflated, but then they're sort of making this distinction. So who are the people behind that machinery? And, and what are some of the ways they're making these decisions?
0: Yeah, so the people on the policy team are like, ex-political aides you know like legislative aides they're like crisis response people they're ex-military they're lawyers and academics like they're they've hired good people to do this or at least i can't think of like different types of people as far as like you know employment background to do this but the thing that they have decided and i think that this is really the shocking thing to me or the big takeaway is that They're trying to take human judgment out of this, even though it's there's 7,000 moderators right now, like all over the uh, world. And they want them all to basically decide the same thing. Like no two moderators should decide a different piece of content, like should or shouldn't go up. They should decide the same thing. So to do this, they have made thousands of individual guidelines. So that example you brought up. You can be a white nationalist or white separatist on Facebook, but you can't be a white supremacist, which is, like, just really splitting hairs. And it's also something that I talked to a lot of black history professors while I was doing this. They said, you know, that's a decision that's totally lacking in context in the American experience of black people and different, like, traditional power structures in the history of the U.S. It's also sort of uses the language that white supremacists use, like they say that they are white nationalists or white separatists in order to basically be seen as, like, not as bad as white supremacists. So this is, like, a distinction that really has no meaning. Um, on the other hand, like, Facebook has drawn a lot of lines that seem very arbitrary. The most shocking one that stood out to me and that the one that I think really illustrates, like, the level of absurdity that this goes to is there's a slide that we have that says, you know, you're not allowed to post, like, naked people on facebook save for like a few uh you know exceptions like breastfeeding mothers or like artistic protests and stuff like that but there's an exception for uh you can post the anus of a person as long as it is photoshopped onto the face of a celebrity um, which is just like nuts and it's like Facebook didn't proactively think of this. It's something that people were doing on Facebook and they're like, are we going to take this down or are we going to leave it up? And so the specific example that they have is like they have pictures of this. It's like, taylor swift with her eyes replaced with anuses and uh then they have donald trump and his mouth is an anus and they're like these are okay because they're political speech they're commenting on like this sort of thing and then they have kim jong-un and they have his like mouth replaced with an anus and they have anal beads coming out of the mouth and they're like this is not allowed because this is sexual because they're anal beads which is a sex toy so it's not allowed take it down and it's like that's nuts it's so nuts and they have this sort of rule for like everything you can possibly think of on facebook and like that's a frivolous example because it's like deals with silly photoshopping of like political figures but they have these same slides and levels of detail for things about race things about violence things about misogyny things about you know harassment and bullying and they have to decide where to draw the line And they aren't really always that clear about where the line is publicly, but internally they've drawn that line and then they don't really explain like why it is where it is.
2: That's pretty crazy and hard to wrap your head around. And I think it's also interesting how quickly these rules have to evolve with the conversation because people constantly come up with new ways to harass each other and constantly come up with new formats through which to sort of purvey hate speech. How are these 7,000 moderators kept up to speed with the velocity of the internet conversation?
0: Yeah, so the goal is to have basically a rule for everything before they need it. So this is sort of a sad state of affairs, but like Facebook has very well uh, established rules for like what to do after a mass shooting. Like they take down the um, shooter's profile. They like set up their ai so that tries to detect anyone making new fake profiles they have people on the lookout for you know people making fun of the tragedy or something like that and so what they're trying to do is they're trying to be proactive about everything that could possibly happen on earth ever which is like a crazy thing to think about but yeah when there's a crazy news story or when they don't have a rule for something it basically gets escalated is what it's called and so a moderator sees something and they're like, I'm not sure what to do about this. And it goes to their boss and then, you know, their boss makes a decision or that boss like can't make a decision. So it gets escalated further. And eventually it ends up at like Facebook's headquarters and people there make decisions, whether it be like a lawyer or a PR person or someone there. And if it's something like really likely to make political waves or something that they don't really have a policy for and they need to make a decision and it's going to be a big deal, you know, that's when like Sheryl Sandberg or Mark Zuckerberg get involved. And like, yeah, they have a lot of power at the company, but they are also not content moderation experts. And so you have this situation where a lot of this is happening in sort of an ad hoc, like on the fly way, or at least it has worked that way for years and years. Um, They're trying to get better at it, but it's still like, it's a very complicated and messy process.
2: What does it mean for us that a few people in one company have that much power?
0: Yeah, it's the most important question facing the internet today. I think it's when the internet was made, it was this very open platform, very decentralized, where anyone could say anything that they wanted and make their own, you know, websites and blogs and say whatever they wanted there. And you can still do that, of course. But As Facebook becomes more and more powerful, people are funneled into this singular platform, and especially in developing countries where, you know, Facebook has done things to entrench its power there before the internet has had the ability to develop. So uh, you know, Facebook has given internet to a lot of developing countries, and they can only use facebook and so they think facebook is the internet so if facebook is the arbiter of you know what is allowed and what isn't that very much affects what people are able to say and the internet is where we express ourselves these days so in many ways facebook has become in many ways facebook has become more important than governments in terms of being an arbiter of free speech and in some cases that's a good thing just because what you can say on Facebook is often more than what you can say in say like countries run by authoritarian regimes and Facebook has resisted some more strenuous like rules that authoritarian regimes have pushed but in many more ways it's a dystopian nightmare.
2: From that statement I might already know what you're gonna say but I'm curious as to whether Going deeper into the story, seeing how it worked, made you feel more hopeful about the, the efforts that are being put into moderating content on platforms like Facebook, and I would say Twitter as well, where we continue to see such painful and hurtful and violent speech on a day-to-day basis? Or do you feel sort of like throwing your hands up and saying, we may not have an answer?
0: Uh, It's a little bit of both. I mean, I think I went into this thinking it seems like they have no idea what they're doing. Like, outwardly, it very much seems like they have no idea what they're doing because that's what you read. Because I'm going to be a little hyperbolic here, but every mistake that gets publicized is like ruins someone's life. It's like the, the news that you read, it's like someone killed themselves on Facebook Live or Facebook is facilitating genocide or harassment or bullying. And for the people that this is affecting and you know, even just seeing like hate speech on a daily basis, like this hurts our psyches, this is really bad. On the other hand, it's not clear that there is a solution here. And I mean that in like a hopeful way in terms of like, the people are trying very hard. The moderators are trying, the people are making policy, are thoughtful people who seem to want to do the best that they can possibly do. I think what I came away thinking is that Facebook is too big to wrangle this in a way that makes sense ever um just because when you think about it uh on the scale of two billion people it's really is a difference between two billion people and like a hundred million people because a hundred million people like not everyone is on facebook all day posting gory images or harassing people but When you have 2 billion people doing it in over 100 countries and all these different contexts and all these different languages, it becomes a problem that probably doesn't have a solve. And I don't think that it has a solve. And the academics I talk to don't think it has a solve. And Facebook soldiers on anyway. And it's happening anyway. And they're doing their best. And I came away thinking it's somewhat of a small miracle that it works at all. And it seems that it does work a little bit. Like, for every mistake, there are hundreds and hundreds of posts that were deleted, you know, that were hateful or that, you know, probably shouldn't have been shared on Facebook. And then you add all these problems onto, like, their fake news and conspiracy things, which actually other parts of the company mostly deal with. And it's just, like, Facebook has become too big and too unwieldy to function, I think. Um, So I think that they're doing their best but clearly that's not enough and it's not going to be sustainable
1: to read the full article go to motherboard.vice.com that's it for now thanks so much for listening and tune in again on friday for another vice guide to right now